Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Better Call Paul is a production of Lola Media. Say hi, Lola. Hey, everyone. This is Paul Sarker from Better Call Paul. Just wanted to remind you that the show is intended for entertainment purposes only and is not legal advice. I am not your lawyer unless we separately agree for me to represent you. And the views expressed by Mesh and me are solely our own. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Better Call Paul, the show where we discuss the legal and business side behind the scenes of Hollywood sports and entertainment. I'm your co-host, Paul Sarker, former Marvel lawyer and current big law media attorney. And I'm your other co-host, Mesh Lakani. And Paul, we are approaching... The year end, it is December, the last month of the year, and we are in one of the slowest times for film and TV. We are. You know, we took a week off for the Thanksgiving holiday, although it feels like a little bit longer. This is always a super busy time of year for me. Uh, <laughs> I understand, like, the the holiday. A, it's sort of on the cusp of when Oscar candidates come out. And November, I think, is historically a big month for movies, but maybe not this year. But for me, you know, work really picks up year end. A lot of clients want to get their deals closed. Things that have been going all year or second half of the year, like everything tries to close or at least sign uh, the end of the year. And it's also holiday party season. So it seems like now the work week is really three or four days in office. And then people are like working from home Monday, Friday. It seems like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday are the nights when you could have your holiday parties. And it's just, it's a lot, but it's all good. It's all good. Glad to be back. Yeah, man. I feel like lawyers are just always busy. Like, when do you guys actually get to take a break? Yeah, it's a good question. I think Jess asks me that all the time. Year end <laughs> is really busy. I would say the second half of spring and some weeks in the summer tend to lighten up. August is a little lighter, but it really all depends on like deal flow. And you could be stuck on like a huge transaction and it's just all hands on deck for a couple of weeks. But year end is always busy. So, Mesh, are you a big Black Friday, Cyber Monday guy? I used to be. I always am in the market, I think, for like an, a TV upgrade. I'm looking for like crazy deals. You know, it's funny you say that because this year I actually was looking for very, very specific things. And I just didn't pull the trigger on anything because I'm like, oh, they'll probably extend it. They'll keep extending it. I was looking for a new pair of gym shoes and specifically a beard trimmer. Those are the only two things I wanted and needed. And uh, I just didn't find anything that like deal feeling. Nike had some pretty good deals, but I traditionally have been more of a Cyber Monday. I like the internet deals. I refuse to go anywhere physically on Black Friday. I remember, I think I can agree with you in that. I do remember it feeling like more of an event, but now it's like 
Black Friday starts like two weeks before <laughs> and then it keeps going. Yeah, and then yeah. Cyber Monday, yeah. it's like... It's, it, it goes through... Then it's like the Christmas sales. You might as well just have it all... You might as well like just wait, a, right? But yeah. I do think that there are some things like you got to act fast. Um, yes. Or at least yes. that's, that's the marketing pitch. But this year, actually, Jess and I did go to the mall on Black Friday and I, okay. I don't know why it was so crowded and chaotic. Was but it I, chaotic? Yeah, I mean, it was packed. And we just wow. went to walk around and maybe do some window shopping. We were just looking for, you know, a little bit of a break from being cooped up in the house. So we went and I was like, this is, it felt like um, Hunger Games, maybe. It was, it wasn't like people were fighting, but it was just so crowded. Everyone's yeah, coughing yeah, yeah, and yeah. sneezing oh, and like the lines man. for everything. It was just like, I wanted to get out of there as soon as possible. But I, I do think you're right in that, like, if you keep waiting, the deals seem to get better. And the economy is doing really well as far as like economic growth. So maybe there isn't an incentive to have like those crazy like 80% off sales that they had before. Well, it's been a, I think just generally it's the last two years and especially this last year, it's been, it's been rough overall retail, et cetera. So they need to push sales no matter what. And um, they need to get people to spend money and no better thing to keep giving people deals, you know, because like Cyber Monday extended till November 28th, extended till December. And now the yeah. Christmas, you know, it's like, uh, OK, can I get a better deal? Can I bet a better deal? But, you know, when you uh, originally said, hey, should we do Black Friday? I was like, well, what are we going to talk about Black Friday? I had no idea there was going to be deals around the stuff that we talk about all the time, which is streaming. Oh, my God. Yeah. I think I was in the gym when I saw Hulu Black Friday deal, 99 cents a month for it's a insane. year. This is an insane for deal. a year. And then I think <laughs> Max was two ninety nine a month for six months. So, yeah, that's a good deal. Yeah, it is. And I think, you know, if you don't already have Hulu, I'm sure it's the ad tier, but still 99 cents. I mean, that's basically like seven months at the ad tier level and it's a year. So it's a hell of a deal. That's a good deal. We already had Hulu, so it didn't really move the needle for us. But I was like, damn, I wish I didn't because then I could have got this deal. Yeah, that's the other thing, right? Like if you already have the account, it's not like you cancel the account and then get the cheaper account. But I, I guess you could if you change your email. It just seems like a, it seemed like a lot of hassle. Yeah, you probably have to change your like yeah, the email, payment info exactly. and your email. Exactly. But even like Paramount Video was offering where it was like Paramount Plus with Showtime Plus, AMC Plus, MGM Plus. I didn't even know MGM Plus was a thing. Stars save 75% off through Prime Video. But then there is some numbers around, well, does this really move the needle? Because for Prime Video, a lot of the what I read is, that, and I had never thought about this. Obviously, you're getting Prime Video because you want free shipping. So it's like, right. what is the people who are getting Prime Video for Prime Video versus hey, great, we have Prime Video in addition to our free shipping. Yeah, you pay for the shipping or for the, the convenience of not having to pay for shipping when you buy you know, your AA batteries or whatever yeah. it is that people are yeah. buying like these tiny little orders because it's so convenient and you pay the yes. $150 yes. a year for shipping. I mean, I think what this is going to usher in is like the era of bundling where you know, first Netflix comes on the scene, it's like $9.99 a month. Wow, this is so great. There's no ads. Now there's a plethora of services and they're all like 15 bucks or more a month. And some of them are cheaper, but then they have an ad tier and that's aggravating in its own right. So rather than if you still have cable or you have broadband and then you have some sort of like, uh, you know, VMVPD plus all these streaming services, you're paying a ton of money and maybe there's someone can make it easier and just bundle all the streamers together for you or 70% of them or whatever. 
Yeah, so we're basically back to where we started originally when cable bundles, et cetera. I think at the end of the day, what people want, ease, cheap, good UI. Like, that's all that matters. I found myself the other day, I was trying to watch the Arsenal game. I went on the USA Network app. It wasn't it wasn't logging in properly. Next thing I realized that YouTube TV is actually much easier to use. I just want something easy. That's all I want. I don't want to lose track of how much money I'm paying for what thing. So it comes to bundle 100%, one app. That's what I want at the end of the yeah, day. Yeah, UI I think is is important. You know, for example, for me, I'm a football fan and I have Red Zone through like the NFL app. And then if I want to watch a game, you know, it would be through either broadcast or cable or, you know, I don't have Sunday ticket. But having to switch apps, it's like in a commercial break, that takes you 20 seconds to yes. like, close the app, open the other yes. app. Yes. I'd rather be able to just seamlessly toggle but you know in a perfect world yes in a perfect world it's getting there right we're improving more content the better and i think the black friday deals are a sign that at least economically they're not giving away the product but once you've built the product subscriber acquisition is a big part of it and so they have their retail prices but obviously there's a lot of flexibility there for some of them well and and speaking of content lack of content we are in the slow time for movie box office. Obviously, November is one of the slowest times. It wasn't always the case, but post-pandemic, uh, November slump, nothing really out. I mean, there is actually nothing to watch. You know me. I love going to the movies. I don't know what to watch. I will say that I did go watch Godzilla Minus One, which is the Japanese version of Godzilla, which was, from what I heard, incredible. People were clapping at the end of it. I wouldn't know because I fell asleep through the whole thing. It was a late movie on a Saturday, on a Friday night. But from what I saw, it was pretty amazing. Uh, but we're talking like a, we're talking about like a eleven million dollar box office, and you know some other Beyonce's Renaissance was a twenty one million dollar at the box office. These are small numbers. Yeah. So November did five hundred fifty three million, which is. 12% down from last year and almost 40% down from pre-pandemic when November used to be like a billion dollar month. Yeah. And, you know, technically the SAG strike was over at the start of November and there were some movies that came out, but they didn't perform like the Marvels and Wish. Hunger uh, Games. Hunger Games without Jennifer Lawrence. So Yeah. And Napoleon, which just and, didn't get good reviews, but it was supposed to be like, oh my God, Napoleon with uh, Joaquin really, Phoenix and it's Joaquin Scott Phoenix. Movie. I'm a Vanessa Kirby fan. And I think it's actually, I think, did pretty well given Ridley Scott's track record. I think it made like 70, 80 million. And there was Killers on the Flower Moon, which did okay. But nothing that did, you know, what typical Marvel movie would do in the billion dollar range. So we're looking ahead. I know you said December's a slow time. Wonka is coming out. That could be decent. I think that's maybe the next big theatrical release on the horizon. Well, I think it'll it'll tell us if Timothy Chalamet has that pull do people want to go see this guy in the theater and if the reviews come out that it's good i think people will go see it yeah i think people will i mean it seems like i remember the gene wilder one i don't think i saw the johnny depp one timothy chalamet is a great actor i i don't recall ever seeing him do anything like carefree and fun i think he's more like serious and contemplative yeah i guess lady bird he was uh it, it was not carefree and fun but lady bird was like a uh, was a fun movie um but okay. usually yeah he's done some he, he he gets some pretty good serious roles there yeah a fun movie they're starting the premiere circuit so they did a uk premiere or paris premiere and you know i think it's like 120 130 million dollar budget so 
We'll see if it does well. I'm going to make a bet here that the movie that I think is going to, I don't know if it's going to surprise people because I think people are like, this movie looks interesting, is Iron Claw, which is the true story of the Von Eric brothers. It's a, a wrestling family and it stars Zach Efron, a- Jeremy Allen White. It's A24. It's A24. And I think A24 is basically holding this industry together because they take the risk, they make good movies. And this movie, the trailer looks incredible. I think a lot of like people who nostalgic about wrestling want to see it. I think Zach Efron does have something. And Jeremy Allen White is hot right now. So let's see if people go watch this movie. But that's my bet on the movie that's going to do well in the end of the year. Well, let's see. We'll find out. And then, of course, there's Ferrari as well. Adam Driver, Penelope Cruz, Patrick Dempsey. I think that comes out at the end of the year. I think it's on Christmas weekend. But I don't know. I haven't seen this, obviously, because of the strike. We haven't seen it advertised too much. Like, I don't know anything about this movie. Well, I don't know if, if Ferrari was impacted by the strike. Ford versus Ferrari was good. Ford versus Ferrari was good. And the wrestler the reviews, was good. The wrestler was good. So if the reviews are good on Ferrari and the reviews are good on Iron Claw, which I assume A24 will be a good review, I'm going to go watch those movies. So we also have Anyone But You, which is a rom-com starring Sydney Sweeney from Euphoria and Glenn Powell, who is in Top Gun Maverick. I don't know if this movie will do well. It's one of those rom-coms that's gotten a lot of attention because of this potentially romance between Sydney Sweeney and Glenn Powell off screen, but it could all be just played to get people to go watch this movie because of the drama that is created. Maybe, maybe it has some pull amongst the younger crowd. I, I, I think people just, they're two hot actors. And I think if the reviews are good, maybe people go see it. I think like there's not enough rom-coms in the theaters, so it might surprise to the upside here. I'm making a bet on that as well. Let's take a quick break and come back with a copyright infringement lawsuit over another big movie. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. So, Mesh, have you seen Ad Astra? You know, it's one of those movies that I really wanted to see. I like Brad Pitt. I like sci-fi. I like space movies. It just seemed so boring that I just never went to go watch it. And I'm ashamed to say that I haven't seen this movie. You're you're taking the words out of my So I also love space movies and I'm a huge Brad Pitt fan. So, you know, I was thinking Brad Pitt in a space movie. How can Sick. that go wrong? Right. Yeah. So I was thinking like, I love Gravity, Star Wars, Interstellar, Expanse, The Martian, all that stuff. Star Trek, yep. Star Wars. But this thing was so slow. Oh, you watched it? I fell it. asleep. 
<laughs> yes. I fell asleep over and over throughout this movie. Yeah. And I couldn't tell you how it ends up. The plot was Brad Pitt is like this hotshot astronaut and he's chosen for this mission and the mission is to investigate some disturbance around Neptune and he finds his long lost dad along the way. And then yeah. I don't know what happens. Wait, in space? In space. Near Neptune. I like that Neptune gets some love. Neptune never gets loves in, in movies. Yeah, Neptune's like pretty far away. Like I think it, <laughs> it, it takes a long time yeah. to get there. And like years, maybe yeah. 30 years. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I just, even the action scenes were the slow motion because they were on the moon and there was like a, a, a rover chase scene. And I felt that was the first time I fell asleep. But I, I fell asleep and woke up and fell asleep and woke up. Anyway, 2019 movie did pretty well. The reason we're talking about it, it was written and directed by James Gray. So it was produced and released by Disney slash Fox. And James Gray is rep by CAA. This week, they won a lawsuit. Uh, they got a case against them dismissed. It was brought by... Madison Jones, right? Madison Jones, right? Who's the... Who's a screenwriter. Madison Jones sued CAA, Disney, and Fox for copyright infringement, alleging that Ad Astra... Basically, CAA and Fox stole his script because he wrote this movie called Cosmic Force, which was also about a sort of a soldier who gets recruited for a mission to travel through space to investigate some disturbance. And he also yes. finds his long finds lost his dad. Finds his missing father. Yeah. And it's it's like a space kind of epic, but it's also it's an action movie with it's a faster pace with like guns and shooting. And, yeah, that's and more. the one I want to watch. I want to watch yeah, that version. That you, so you want to see Cosmic Force. Ad Astra is <laughs> a little bit more like plotting and melancholic and slow. And so anyway, Madison Jones, I'm just, I don't, I haven't spoken to him about this, but I'm just thinking yeah. he's probably in theaters. He's like, I wrote this script. I sent it to CAA. Boom, I go to the, watch Ad Astra. It's like the same thing, right? It's a guy yeah. looking, you know, finds his long lost dad and he's in space. It turns out, so he files a lawsuit and then they dig into it. And so apparently the first draft of Ad Astra was delivered by Jonathan Gray in 2013 and the second draft in May 2015. He didn't send his first draft of Cosmic Force. This is Madison Jones. Didn't send his, his first draft in until November 2015. Okay. So what CAA is saying is we didn't copy your script. We got your script after we got his right. script. Right. Now, his lawyer is saying, well, I don't believe that. And I want to do a forensic analysis of James Gray's hard drive to prove that he didn't have access to the script beforehand. The judge said no. The real question on the hard drive thing is when I read that, I was like, can't they just delete stuff off their hard drive or you can actually see? Uh, if you really dig in, I'm told that nothing can actually be deleted forever, right? Like wow. there's always, even if you sort of like put something in the trash and empty your trash, there's still some record of it somewhere that a forensic analysis would unearth. Damn, that's a movie right there. Uh, <laughs> that is a movie right there. So they're saying that you they could have potentially gotten some analysis of, of James Gray's hard drive to disprove that he never had access to the script, or at least not before he submitted his draft. The judge said it didn't even have to go that far because the movies were different. Like the script was a different tone, different pacing, different storyline, different take entirely. And by the way, this concept of a, a person looking for their long lost father through space is, is not protectable because, it, as you said at the start, it's been done so many times. Another thing that was sort of fatal to his case is that CAA, you know, they sent a request for answers it's called admissions to the plaintiff. And 
Madison Jones didn't answer a couple of the questions. You know, he didn't refute certain things according to the correct legal process. And that gave the judge, Fred Slaughter, more of a reason to just toss the case. So in addition to it being a little bit murky on the timeline and, and James Gray having distributed his his script, first two drafts before the draft was ever sent to um, CAA from Madison Jones, and also them being different stories and in a general theme that isn't protectable in the judge's eyes, he tossed out the case, which I guess is a good thing for the studios. But I just want to discuss the legal framework here. And we talk about infringement and copyright all the time because, well, copyright is the most important content bucket, right, that we have in the entertainment space. And, you know, I guess the idea is if you're a plaintiff, you have to prove first that you have an original copyrighted work that was accessed and reproduced, right, that it was infringed. So that's either someone copying it, reproducing it, distributing it, licensing it without your permission. And first thing you have to prove is that the work is original and that he wasn't able to prove that here. He also didn't prove access. Uh, but it is a tough thing to do. And this is why studios are so hesitant to read people's scripts unless they're represented, right? So, Ah, interesting. Cause, yeah, okay. like there's this whole thing about unsolicited submissions in Hollywood. And if I had a dollar for every person that's like, hey, I have a script. You're an entertainment lawyer. Can you get this to Netflix or Amazon or whoever? I'm like, A, that's not what we do. And B, these studios don't want unsolicited submissions because they don't want to open themselves to liability if they happen to be working on something that's similar to your script. They don't want you filing a lawsuit when their sure. movie comes out, right? They're so sure. even if they were to consider it, they would have you sign a very one-sided waiver saying, hey, you know, you acknowledge that you're sending this to us voluntarily. And if we're working on something that may or may not be similar, you have no claim. So it's a really tough thing if you're not going through the authorized gatekeepers. But that's why, right? They don't want to be yeah. exposed to these sorts of lawsuits. Well, then, like, honestly, man, like, how many original ideas are there? It's 2020. I mean, with the internet, with the amount of, like, content that's out there, with the amount of people that's out there, the amount of influence that's, you know, from the, the great things that have been written, it's very hard to have, like, a very, very unique original idea. I mean, most of these... I mean, think about any freaking action movie. It's the same thing over and over again, or the, a rom-com. It's the same thing over and over again. Well, you're talking about a plot line or a theme. Those may not be protectable, but let's say the similarities were really, really apparent, right? Like it sure. was a slower movie and the guy- They were going to a certain far planet. and They were going was, to this, yeah. yeah, with the same name. And, the you know, space stations had similar names and like, I guess you're right. Like the themes are somewhat congruent and 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 general, but if in the specific details there is a lot of similarity, then you can sort of prove because the idea could be nuanced, right? So it's like your take on someone finding their long lost dad could be unique. And if someone copies what's unique about your take, then you could potentially make an infringement case. But if it's just like, yeah, these guys are traveling through time, like well that happens in space time and you know, long lost father. That's been done many, many times. Sure, sure. To to take the other side of this, I could also very much see where it's like script he's writing. They've already put the money in on the Ad Astra script. I'm just saying, in theory, uh, they've got a budget. They got a big name attached. And like, ooh, like we could like this thing is just going to be. Maybe there's some things in here that we can take. I'm not saying they did do that, but I could see that happening because it happens all the freaking time. I mean, that's what happens in tech a lot. Like. 
There's no such thing as a completely original idea. There's multiple companies that are doing similar things and competitors, and it's a race to not only who can get launched first, but who can raise enough money. And so you try to raise money from and get the big guys. Share, yeah. Yeah, you try yeah, you try to get money from like the big VCs so that they can't fund another competitor. But a lot of times you hear these stories of VCs taking meetings with competing companies to like get their secrets and stuff and share it with the other founders. I mean, it's it's you it no one's going to admit that, but you hear about it happening all the time. And I'm sure it happens in Hollywood and I mean we hear it happening in music all the time like people take Yeah, it. and it's it's a little delicate too because if you walk into that meeting and you have a you know, a really strict non-disclosure agreement with other protections against copying and and making derivative or duplicate works, you know, they're not going to take the meeting with you. They're going to be like, "Oh, this person seems like they're litigious." Yes. Uh, yes. You know, we'll take the next meeting. Well, th this is where you get the Dante's Peak versus Volcano, and you're wondering why two movies of the similar style come out, or it's um, Armageddon and Deep Impact. Uh, Deep Impact. I mean, I remember those were two summers where I was like, "What is? How did they even know?" It's got to be like, "Hey, studio knows that this movie's going to be made. This is going to be next big." Uh, the other studios like, "We need a volcano movie too. Quick, someone find a volcano movie." Right. And then there's like Bugs Life and Ants and there's yeah, yes. I mean, yes. that happens. It happens. In this case, yeah, I could see why Madison was like, "Hey, I you go to the movies, you're like, "Wow, this is really similar to what I wrote." I could see yeah. why you'd be frustrated and want to file off, especially if you're both rep by CAA, you know, I mean, I could see why that would be aggravating. But unfortunately, he he got his case was dismissed and his lawyer said he'd appeal, so we'll see. We'll see how, if it plays out. Yeah, I mean that's tough. I mean, look from a creator standpoint, it's got to suck when you're sitting there and you're like, "Dang, man!" You know, to your point, the movie was kind of boring. So hey, hopefully this guy gets to make an actual. I will watch that that movie. I would watch his movie over Cosmic at Force. Cosmic Force. Maybe change the name, but hell yeah, guns. Um, yeah, you know, take some guns in space. Yeah, I mean, guns are really dangerous in space, right? There's no gravity, so. Who knows what my they, well they're lasers. I think the guns were lasers, but even then, you know, I don't know the rules then. and physics about the lasers, but I want to watch that movie over at Astro. I mean, the trailer was so boring that I fell asleep. But yeah, hopefully this guy just gets another shot and can make a big movie. Yeah. Hopefully. Well, let's take a quick break and come back with a SAG update. So Mesh, um, Back in episode 241, we discussed how the lengthy SAG strike seemed to be resolved in, in that the negotiating committee approved the deal in principle. They sent it to the board of directors of SAG who approved it. And then we said it was going to go to the entire SAG membership for ratification. So a majority needs to approve it. That deadline is going to be December 5th. But at the time, we also said that it seemed like the deal was a little thin. I mean, listen, it's easy to second guess stuff like this. Uh, but just like the economics, when you're talking about a billion dollars over 160,000 members is only a couple grand per person. And the streaming bonus fund was was actually not that big. And the AI protections, the devils would be in the details because if the studio can just send you this AI rider and say, you have to sign this or you're not working on the show, that's not necessarily meaningful progress. And so those are the things that are holding up ratification. Apparently, 
it's going to be a much closer vote than certainly the, the WGA vote. The, for context, when the WGA approved their agreement, 99% of writers voted to approve it. In this case, it's going to be a closer call. And I think really the sticking point is AI. Well, you know, the, the AI thing is, I, I'm just reading a bit about it because it was saying under the agreement, this is according to The Hollywood Reporter, under the agreement, studios would gain the ability to create two kinds of digital replicas of real actors. Employment-based digital replicas where you're taking a scan of a person and you're putting them in the movie. This is famously done, Nicolas Cage and The Flash, where his, his face was scanned and then he didn't know what they're going to do with it. So he was actually surprised when he saw himself um, in the movie, what he was doing in the movie. He knew that his face was going to get used and he got paid for it, but he didn't know what he was going to do. And then independently created digital replicas, quote, holy digital replicas crafted to resemble real actors in character, as was the case in, I, I guess, Ghostbusters Afterlife. Uh, they've done this in Star Wars. But I think um, it seems like they're clear about that. And that makes sense. I think where things are going to get unclear is the tech alone is moving really, really quick. And we just don't know where it's going to go. And I think it's tough to figure out what the rules are going to be when you don't know where the tech and the space are going to be. Not only are we seeing like billions of dollars of funding going into the space, I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, you and I looked at a, a recently new company, Pika AI, that you can make a prompt and you could say Mesh and Paul are riding on a horse battling a bunch of rangers or something, right, in, in the wild, wild west. And it creates it for you, which is incredible. But we don't know what that what world that's going to create in the next few years. And I think it's hard to make rules when you just don't know where things are going to go. One thing is predicting what is going to happen in the next three years, because, again, in 2026, the SAG agreement is up and they have another bite at the apple. Yeah. Right. I don't know whether there's going to be uh, an appetite for the members to strike because that also has you know consequences. But there's that. So there's like the pace of technology. Where do we, th we think we'll be in three years? What's the worst that could happen right now? And there's also comps like, well, what did the WGA get? What did the DGA get? And in both, you know, there's a more of a clear statement that you know writing or directing has to be done by humans unless a human consents otherwise. In the SAG context. It's not that clear because, well, their position is that we've used CGI in the past to create, you know, non-human performers or non-human characters, and we can use animation and and other things. So there isn't necessarily a blanket prohibition on using computer-generated or assisted characters. That's not necessarily prohibited. The issue is you need to get informed consent when you recreate someone's likeness in a digital replica. Some people think that that's not going far enough. And then the concept of informed consent is, again, as I've said, the devil's in the details, because if they describe for you what they're going to do and you're like, hey, no, I don't want to do that. And you have the leverage uh, to say no. And then they, they're like, OK, well, we need you in this project, this TV show, this movie. We need you. So if you don't want to consent to this digital replica, then we'll just have to work around it or use you. Or they could say, OK, well, if you don't want to consent to that, then we're going to cast someone else. Right. Because yeah. if you don't have the leverage to demand certain restrictions or compensation, then they'll use someone else, which is their right as an employer. Like they should have the right to move on and find someone that's going to be more amenable to their plans for digital likenesses. So then it brings it down to like, well, is it the stars that have the leverage to negotiate protections? If that's the case, then stars could have negotiated for that 
you know, absent this agreement. So I get it in that, A, when you're doing some collective bargaining agreement like this, you're not going to be able to please everyone. That goes without saying. And then two, you're right. It's some people think it's years away. Like doing a movie completely via AI right now is not going to be very good. It may be fast, but it's not going to woo consumers. It's not going to fool anyone. And so some some of the people who are editing the movies and using working with AI now are like, I know it's 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 not an immediate concern. It's it's certainly something that's going to change the way things are made, but we can't just completely do away with actors. Yeah, and, and it's not going to be possible for for a couple of years. No, but we are in this interesting place where like actors, you know, who have who has the pull and we still do want to see movies with certain people in it. And I think that um you know like an interesting example would be would this free up for some actors to you know when they have scheduling conflicts. Let's say Keanu Reeves because everyone loves Keanu Reeves. Keanu Reeves is doing John Wick 8 by this point. And there's another animated film that wants to use him. Could they create like an AI version of Keanu Reeves just based on his likeness? He does a couple of voice things with them and then they use his voice for the rest of it. He doesn't even sh- have to show up anywhere, uh, but he gets paid for it. And he does. He just gets to work. On well, that's animation now. I mean, voice acting you can do from wherever. I mean, you sometimes they do it all in the same room, but that's not necessarily but not, required. Not even that he's like on it. Like they just use his voice, and they're using AI created voice instead of having him be in. A yeah, studio. if he can, if he consents to that, he can, they can do it. I mean, so as of now, you have to provide informed consent. They have to studio has to describe what they're going to do. And if they're using your likeness or digital replica in a project other than the original one, yeah, they have to separately negotiate and presumably there's compensation that has to be paid. So if you're a high-level person, then you can ask for more money. If you don't have that kind of leverage, then they may move on or they may say, yeah, we'll pay you you know, the minimum, whatever the minimum is. If there's no minimum, then we'll just use it. And you're acknowledging that we can and that we're giving you your break and, and getting in this. So... It's tough. I don't see how SAG could provide minimums that take care of everyone and that, you know, pure prohibitions on this because the studios aren't going to agree to some sort of blanket prohibition. I I, I kind of am empathetic with where they landed, but I could see how some would say it didn't go far enough. And I mean, there's a couple of examples where it worked out really well, right? Like Val Kilmer, you know, he lost his voice. So he consented to the use of AI to recreate his voice for the Maverick cameo. And yep. I think there's other examples. Even the most recent Rolling Stones album, I think, had some AI enhancements because they sounded like they're like 30 years younger. Yeah. So I think if there's consent, it's not really as concerning. It's the question is like, if it's true consent or if it's more coerced consent, and how do you define that? And how do you legislate that? Which is a hard thing to do. The other aspect is residuals. And I think everyone acknowledges that the residuals, the streaming residuals bonus structure is a little light. It's not going to necessarily move the needle for a lot of the actors. Yes. I mean, you have to be a bit on a big show for it to really kind of be big for you. So the definition is the show has it has to have views which are equal to 20% of the domestic subscribers to the platform in its first 90 days. That means that a view is the total hour stream divided by the runtime of the show. Yes. And the platform size is basically like whatever it is. Like, you know, 200 million for Netflix or 160, whatever it is domestically, maybe 
80 so for you, HBO so if Max. You're getting like, so if it's 100 million, if it's 20% of that, so if you get 20 million views in 30 days, would that be correct? 90 days. And nine, sorry, in ninety days, then it would it would be that fifty percent increase in residual. Right. So so yeah, on your math, if you have a, a platform that has a hundred million subscribers, yes, and a show gets twenty million views, it doesn't mean twenty million people viewed it. It means the aggregate views. hours divided by the runtime is twenty million. Aggregate hours viewed divided by the runtime is twenty million. Then it qualifies for this bonus, and the bonus is one hundred percent of the original residual base. The actor gets 75% of that and then 25% goes to this fund, which funds right, other right. actors working in streaming. But the bases are already so low. You know, a couple episodes ago, we talked about how each of the friends is making like $20 million a year in a residuals. Year. Yeah, yeah. So in this case, we're talking about like three to four grand on a Netflix right. show. Okay. That's the bonus. Okay. So it's not, okay. it's not like friends money. And there's no scenario where it would be. SAG right. is projecting that in the aggregate, this would be an incremental 40 million, of which 10 million would get paid into the fund. But that, you know, it's unpredictable because you'd have to be on a hit show. And even so, the base is just not that big to begin with. So I think a lot of people are left wondering, you know, was it really worth striking for this incremental amount? From the SAG perspective, they're like, this is a, just a beginning. This is the first step in getting you know, the streamers to play ball with us in a success-based structure, even if it's not necessarily the amount that we were hoping for, it just sets, sets the table for, okay, now we're comfortable with providing some level of clarity and, and, and analytics into what's a hit. The other thing is there's some pretty big exclusions. It doesn't cover reality TV. It doesn't cover low budget. It doesn't cover any ad-supported AVOD content. It's got to be made for streaming, high budget, and it also doesn't cover things that start on network television and then have a long a long lifetime on streaming or anything that's licensed. So like Suits, for example, even though it was so successful on Netflix this summer, would not trigger any additional residuals based on this bonus structure. Interesting. So you're saying you negotiate, like if you're a star, you're getting a deal with Netflix, like you're trying to get as much money from them up front because that's really going to be the payday for you. Yeah, or I mean, if you have ownership in the show and you're on some back-end proceeds, but that's that's sure. really rare. And as far yeah. as the residual structure, and what we always say is what SAG is doing is they negotiate the floor. And if you have a ton of leverage and you're a big star and you can say, hey, no, I want bonuses at this many hours viewed and this you can go beyond the floor it's just like how many people have the leverage to get that through yep well dude that's a very good breakdown i appreciate that just from my learnings here uh and we hope that everybody else learned something about how these deals are getting made we'll keep everyone posted on sag updates because it seems like we're still getting them and obviously on the AI commentary. But Paul, good breakdown as always. Folks, that's our show for this week. And we'll be back next week. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. Tell your friends, Spotify, Apple, wherever you choose to listen. At Better Call Paul, the podcast, Instagram, TikTok. Follow me on X at Mesh Lakani. Better Call Paul is produced and edited by Valentino Rivera and assistant producer Lisa Sanders. Have a great week. Thanks, everyone.